And as we'll see in Acts chapter 3, all of 3, we're going to read a lot this morning, and then half of chapter 4, we will see about the comfort that we have in God. So if I can compose myself, let's read together beginning in chapter 3. But first, just a real brief, we got so much, I can't do much time of recap, but in the, the progression of Acts, we have seen Jesus present himself to his disciples alive. We have seen him ascend into heaven. But before doing so, he gave his disciples instructions to wait in Jerusalem where they would receive the Holy Spirit. They did receive the Holy Spirit, and there was a manifestation of God's power that accompanied this baptism of the Holy Spirit, such that the, uh, the disciples had the ability to speak in foreign languages. This, of course, drew a crowd, and Peter, Peter preached a very compelling message concerning uh, the nature of Jesus Christ, that he was the Messiah and that the Messiah must suffer. And thus began, really, the, the church, because there were 3,000 people that were saved that day. And then we got, at the end of chapter 2, kind of just this summary of what the Lord was doing, this, this beautiful picture of what the church is to be and how it is to be a, a representation of the coming kingdom in all of its fullness. And the followers of Jesus Christ were meeting together regularly, They were devoting themselves to prayer, to the apostles' teaching. They were going to the temple regularly, which we'll see here in this chapter. And um, there was nobody in need. People were selling possessions freely as the Spirit moved so that no one would be in need. And Luke says that they found favor with all the people, and many were being added to their number. And that brings us to chapter 3 in the story of, uh, of something that happened to Peter and John and how they were bold witnesses. Let's read together. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel... Why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? 
the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as also did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus." whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken... From Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth being blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Thank you, Claire. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel, but by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John 
and perceived that they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them. Because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Amen. Thanks. And I, I don't really apologize. I'm just, this is who I am. Y'all, there's people, many people hurt from a broken world and it hurts me too. So anyhow, this, this passage is amazing. I mean, it's It's remarkable. Let me walk through it in the short time that we have, and there's a lot for us to see here. But much of it, I think, is, I think just in hearing the Word of God, I think this story is, is impactful just by hearing it. Um, there are some things to point out and some things that perhaps aren't uh, intuitively known just upon hearing it. So let me go through some of this. Uh, the occasion, of course, is, what, is a bit of a description of what Luke had already told us in a summation in, at the end of chapter 2. They would go to the temple regularly together, and here's an example of it. Peter and John were going to the temple to pray at 9 in the morning. On the way to the temple to pray, they see a beggar who has been there for how long? His whole life. A crippled man who every day would come to be uh, laid out at the entrance to the temple, one of the entrances to the temple where he would beg for alms. This is something easy to pass by, isn't it? Even for religious people. It's easy to pass by those in need. And the beginning of this story, I can't help but think of the story of the parable of the Good Samaritan, where you had, it was only the the lowly Samaritan the Jews hated that would stop to attend to the one in need. Even the Levite, the priest, passed by. And it is things like that and passages like this that plague me often. They're not plaguing, that's the wrong word. But they're constantly at the front of my mind when I'm coming to church. I'm always wondering, who am I passing by in need while I'm on the way to worship God? And there's a grand hypocrisy, isn't there? Now, of course, there's always going to be people in need on the way to church. And you're not maybe going to know about it. And it's not, I mean, if we, instead of going to church, just sought to meet needs, we would never gather together. So it's not one or the other, but I've always just been reminded of this this principle that never be in too much of a hurry to show compassion on those who need compassion. And there's the bit of the hypocrisy of rushing past an obvious need. You're like, I got to go pray. No, why don't you just help? (laughs) I got to worship. No, why don't you work with this person 
and attend to their, attend to their needs. And we see G- this is an example that Jesus set. And there's a couple of things in this passage where you can tell Peter and John have been with Jesus. The, the, the high priests say as much earlier. But there's obvious examples here where Peter and John are mimicking what Jesus had done. If you remember when we went through the Gospel of Mark, when Jesus was coming back to Jerusalem, this was right, right before the triumphal entry. You know, Jesus is going back to Jerusalem. He knows what awaits him in Jerusalem. He knows he's going to be killed. He knows he has enemies there. He's going back to this. Meanwhile, there's this, tri- there's this ceremony, this anoint- the people anointing Jesus as the coming king. And in the midst of all of this, the, 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 his looming death... And the praise and worship that's being thrown at him, he still sees the man in need, and he heals. He stops and heals somebody. And the same kind of thing here, right? Peter and John are going to the temple to pray, and they notice a man who's been in this condition his whole life. No one has been able to help him. Peter and John stop and say, look at me. And the guy's thinking, of course, he's going to give me some money. And Peter and John say, what? We don't have silver or gold. But what we do have, we give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. And it's easy, I think, to just, in in the narrative of the New Test, the Gospels and Acts, to kind of just move over the miracles. But for whatever reason, uh, this miracle was just even more astonishing to me than than it it ever has been. I mean, he's, he's never walked. You think about the kind of miracle that would require him to be strong again. Things like the muscle atrophy and, and things like that. I mean, this is a profound miracle. And it obviously, there's a crowd that gathers. And the people are astonished. They run to Peter. And Peter takes this opportunity now to present a very compelling argument, similar to the one he made in chapter 2. And it's, it's all around convincing the Jewish men that Jesus came from God, Jesus is the promised Messiah, and the Messiah must suffer. This is, again, Peter's argument that he's going to make, because this is a particular stumbling block the Jews had. They did not conceive of a Messiah that would suffer. They had this conception of the Messiah that would conquer and liberate The nation of Israel restore the kingdom, drive out Rome at this time in history, and let the world be blessed by God reigning with his people again. So the idea that the Messiah would be one that suffers was just no. So Peter, again, now he's taking his second opportunity to argue that, no, this was God's plan all along, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Peter first says, why do you look at us as if if we could do this by our own power or our piety, and that word really means our devotion to God. In other words, Peter's saying it's not because we have followed the law that we've been able to do this. And if there was ever a sign of the insufficiencies of the law, it would be that the religious leaders that came to the temple every day did not have the power themselves by their piety and their devotion to God to heal the man that had been in front of them for 40 years. But then Peter takes this opportunity. So he's, he's, he, what his appeal is, you know only God can do what you just witnessed. So listen to us. 
If we were able to do this, that's because God's power is working through us. God is validating us and our message. So listen to us. Just like you should have listened to Jesus. That's what Peter says. The same God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Jesus. That's what Peter is saying here. He's the one that did this. And again, just like the previous sermon we saw from Peter, he points out again, it's the same Jesus that God attested to, whom God glorified, that you delivered over to Pilate. And even when Pilate found nothing wrong with Jesus, you denied Jesus. And you killed the author of life and let a murderer go free. But this Jesus that you killed, God has raised from the dead. And it's by the name of Jesus, faith in the name of Jesus, that this man has been made strong again. You want to talk about being cut to the heart again? This is another opportunity for the people in Israel to just go, oh no. We know only God can perform these works. We followed Jesus because he performed these works. And then we denied Jesus before Pilate and had him killed. These men are now doing the same kind of works by faith in the name of Jesus Christ. What must we do? And notice the compassion of Peter here. He says, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance. What mercy and compassion to be able to look on somebody who, a group of people that have done something so, so bad and say, but you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. Even though all of the prophets foretold that the Christ must suffer. And that's the point he makes here. If you look in verse 17 through 26, that's really what Paul's, or Peter's bringing out. This was spoken about by the prophets from Samuel on. They all talked about the Messiah must suffer. Moses talked about this too. Even though you missed it, don't miss it again. Repent. And if you look at verse 19... This is where Peter calls them to repent. Repent. And there's kind of this, this really, this is just in a narrative form, but what Peter says here really, uh, it, it fully encapsulates the, the doctrine of, of salvation, which is both past, present, and future. And well, here, let me just read it. Peter says, repent so that your sins may be blotted out. This is a part of being saved, that when you turn to the Lord, your sins, no matter how grievous they are, they will be blotted out, wiped away, erased. You will be made clean because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Repent so that your sins may be forgiven. So you can imagine the good news that this was to those that had the blood of Jesus on their hands from a guilt standpoint. Repent. And you will be forgiven for killing the author of life. Repent so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord to you. And is that not also a part of our hope of our salvation? It's not just that we've been saved from our sins, but that we are saved from the pain of this life right now. 
And by, giving, by being given God's spirit, God is living with us. And we, though living in a broken world, experience times of refreshing that come from the presence of the Lord. So Peter says, repent so your sins may be forgiven. That times of refreshing may come to you, but then even just as important, repent so that the Christ will come for you at the end of all things. When all things are restored and the Messiah comes again to fully bring his kingdom and end all evil and all suffering, may you be one of the ones that he comes for. In other words, though you missed him this first time, don't miss him the second time. So repent now before it's too late. Unbelievable message. A powerful and compelling argument for Jesus Christ as the Messiah in whom our sins may be forgiven. And how did the people respond? Well, the rulers and the elder, the rulers and the elders, and the high priest and his family, they were greatly annoyed. Yeah, the uh, your Bible may have a different word than annoyed. It's one of those Greek words that's hard to translate into English, because you know I I would say I'm annoyed with my kids sometimes, and that's not what's being captured here. There's this anger, this indignation. It's more than just uh, talking about you. No, deeper than that. It's a hard Greek word to translate. And they throw him in jail, and they spend the night in jail. It's at the end of the day. So Peter and John are are arrested. This is not that long ago. It's not that long since these same group of people did the same thing to Jesus. So you can imagine what Peter and John are thinking. But many of the people heard and believed. And Luke records the movement that is happening. It's now up to 5,000 people. And more than 5,000. He just mentions men here. There's a lot of people now becoming followers of Jesus Christ. Oh, and this is when the story gets just even better to me. So they come, they, they come the next day. And um, y'all be thinking about how we can... Uh, say sorry to the, the children's workers because it's already time, but this is too good. I'm not, I'm not stopping. Um, they come to Peter and John the next day and they inquire, by what power or what name did you do this? And I'm going to paraphrase Peter's response here. It's very much like how Jesus would respond. This is, again, you can tell Peter and John have been with Jesus because of how they answered him. But first, let me also point this out. Oh, I got to do this quick. I don't think it's a coincidence that this is when Peter, or Luke, excuse me, mentions that Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's already been received the Holy Spirit, right? There's already been evidence of this. Why at this point in the story does Luke point out that Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit? I think the answer to this is because Luke is showing here another one of the promises of Jesus being fulfilled. You'll have to go back. I can give this to you afterwards. Come up to me. I've got it in my notes. But Luke, in chapter 12, for example, of his gospel, records Jesus telling his disciples, you are going to be brought before synagogues, and you are going to be put on trial. 
But do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what to say. I don't think it's a coincidence that Luke puts it right here in the story. They are now in front of the synagogues. And Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit such that he knows what to say. And what he says is great. In response to, by what power, what name did you do this? Peter says, do what? You mean the good thing of healing somebody? Is that why you arrested us? And it's this very mocking response, not disrespectful in a sense, but just, let's, let's just make sure we all understand why we're here. We, we spent the night in jail for, for what? For healing the man that was in front of your temple for 40 years that you were able to do nothing about? That's why we're here? That's a bold response. But it's so clever in the way that it is said that it's, it's, it's bold and disarming at the same time. It's the kind of response that when you are the guilty party, like, what, am I, what do I say to that? He's right. That's why we're all, that's why we're all here. But then he says, let it be known to you all that we did this by faith in Jesus Christ, who you killed, who God raised to the dead. By this man, by, by faith in this man, Jesus Christ, this man has been made well. Moreover, there is no other name under heaven by which man must be saved. And how did the, 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 the ruling elders respond to this? How could they not respond like the people did? They better than the people knew the scriptures, or presumably so. How could they, how could they not repent and recognize what they had done? But they don't, right? We've read the story. They were astonished by the boldness of Peter and John. The fact that they're willing to speak like this, knowing that these people have the power to have Peter and John killed. And when it says, when they perceive that they were uneducated men, that's not them saying these are stupid people. They're just simply saying these were not, they were not formally trained in any rabbinic school. That's what it means by uneducated men. The disciples, if you remember, were called out of different kinds of vocation. They were fishermen. They were not the product of going to seminary, in other, in other words. So when it says uneducated, that's what it means. It's like, wow, these... Who are these non-formally trained men? Why are they so bold? How do they know all this? Why are they able to speak like this? They've been with Jesus. So it's actually it's an amazement of though they are not formally trained, they are really wise. And they threatened them. Don't talk in the name of Jesus anymore. They did not want this to spread don't talk in the name of Jesus anymore. And again, in another remarkable display of boldness, Peter and John said, whether it's right to listen to you rather than God, you decide. We cannot help but speak about what we've seen and heard. And then they threatened them some more <laughs> and then let them go. And we'll pick up that part of the story next week. But since our time is so short, let me just focus on one part of this 
Why wouldn't the religious leaders repent of their sin? How could they not? How is it that they were so blind and hardened to this message where the rest of the people weren't? Why? They were presented with the same kind of compelling evidence and reason. They knew the scriptures better than the others that were hearing it. Why were these men so hardened? They perhaps maybe felt more of the guilt of being responsible for killing Jesus. But Peter and John did not really parse out that guilt. They said to all the people, you're responsible for this. To the ruling elders, you're responsible. Peter and John didn't say, you're more responsible. And perhaps they were. They were more of the plotters and the schemers. But but I think this is this part of the story that I I just want us to focus on. Because this is... There's fear that should grip us in hearing this. When confronted with sin and your guilt, fear is likely to take over, and fear is very powerful. I, I, the, the fear that comes from, I can't be guilty of this. I cannot be guilty of what they're saying. And so rather than just repent, you make excuses Because it's like, I cannot, I cannot be guilty of this. But when you recognize your guilt, you do not need an excuse. You need an exchange. You need Christ's righteousness for your own. So when the word of God and the work of the Spirit convicts you such that you feel guilty before God, just And receive the forgiveness of God and the times of refreshing that come from turning to the Lord. I pray that many of you today and in the coming days as the work of God continues in your life. That when you are aware of the guilt of your sin. That you humble yourself and repent and receive the mercy of God. Amen. Josiah, would you come send us off with a hope-filled song you got?